Amen. Man, it is good to see y'all. Man, the last couple of months staring at a camera that doesn't really respond, that doesn't look back, and you can't really engage with. It's just refreshing to be able to preach to a live and somewhat captive audience, and so thank you uh, this morning. As I was considering what we should look at, what we should address this morning, we're going to take a break from Colossians for this week, probably just this week. I want us just to kind of sit in this moment for, for, a, mo- for a day and, and uh, consider some things that I think will be helpful to us as a body as we go forward, be helpful to us as a people as we engage in our community. Okay, so we're going to be in a number of different places this morning as we seek to discern what God would say to us, what God would have us to understand, and, and ultimately where God would have us to go, and what God would, would have us to do. This has been a, a peculiar time. You can think of any number of things during this that, that let you know that this was bizarre, it was different, uh, the rising scarcity and price of toilet paper, right, really caught me off guard. I'm not always great at picking investments, I wish I'd seen that one coming figure out a way to monetize that. Uh, the rising frequency of bidet advertisements on all social media posts. I lived in Europe for a long time, and, and that was pretty common there, but it, it wasn't even able in a toilet paper shortage to really get a foothold in America. You guys are diehard toilet paper fans. You're never going to use bidet. Kudos. Kudos. But there are a number of different things as we kind of evaluate our present and, and look at this that are they're difficult, right? It's difficult to navigate a way forward. It's difficult to understand how we do this together because we recognize that as even just this body, and, and, and don't be fooled, it's not just this church. You can read a number of articles that let you know it's more than just churches, but we have people that they don't think we ever should have quit meeting. We never should have taken any extraordinary steps to do anything. We should have kept hugging, shaking hands, you know, sharing water bottles, and, and all of this was a gross overreaction. And then in this same body, we have people that, that they're not going to come back, they're not going to feel comfortable coming to church again here. Not, they're not just waiting on a vaccine, they're waiting on a vaccine that's been out for a couple of years that, that they are able to navigate the side effects of, and, and they won't feel comfortable coming back, and that's the seriousness that, with which they're taking this. We have both groups here. And both groups populate the majority of churches, and both groups populate your neighborhoods, and both groups populate your schools and your workplaces. And we see that this is insanely politicized, right? Neither side wants to give any ground to the other. The right looks to the left and say it's, says it's your fault, you won't work with us. The left looks to the right and says it's your fault, you won't work with us. All the while, we kind of twist in the wind, waiting for somebody to step forward and say, let's just work together. And then the church, that at one, at one point in the midst of this, all of my friends and everybody I reached out to and everybody I talked to, and I think what we saw in this church was everybody kind of like, on, we're on board. We recognize we're in the midst of these things together. We're struggling through these things together. People are losing their jobs. People are losing their lives. People are afraid, and people are bothered. People are frustrated. And as we prepare to kind of come out of this, one of the shocking things for me, and maybe one of the shocking things for you, is the partisanship that kind of comes out of what was once this rare form of unity. How many people have risen to the front of eminent experts, right? 
where once you were a school teacher, now you're an expert in epidemiology, where once you were a homemaker, now you're an expert when everybody else needs to do, where once you were a pastor, now you're an expert in all these things and you have a terrific number of people telling you you're wrong or you're right. So we have both sides of this. And we have both responses to this. And just sprinkled into the middle of this, we have a healthy heaping of paranoia, a healthy heaping of hoax, and just a smattering of new world order. Just to keep things spicy and interesting. Like people terrified of Bill Gates that he's going to force them to take the mark of the beast by taking some chip, and then Obama is somehow nefariously orchestrating these things in a back room, not wearing a mask. Didn't see that one coming. We need to calm down. We need to take a deep breath. God is still on his throne. Jesus is still faithful. There lies in the future for the Christian a resurrection from the dead. There lies in the future for the Christian a new heavens and a new earth. And there lies in this present reality for the Christian a reminder that this place and all its failings and all its excellencies, there lies in this place, not our ultimate home. Amen? Got to remember this. So begin to think and, and, and pull over and just ask and pray, God, what would be helpful for us as a local body? What would be helpful for us as a group of people? And so I want to look in the past at some of those things that we've covered in the past since I've been here at Ridgecrest and ask the question, are are the things in our past, are the things that God showed us in our past, are they helpful for us as we navigate this present? And, And are those things that God holds for us in our future, are they sufficient and are they worthy of our consideration? So let's consider our past. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. When I first came to Ridgecrest about eight years ago, I saw a church, in in my opinion, that was kind of at a crossways, trying to decide where it was going to go, what it was going to do, and how it was going to focus on people and ultimately focus on its mission. So as I began considering what should we look at, what should we study, I landed on the book of Philippians because my conviction is that the book of Philippians causes us to focus and center and find our allegiance in the gospel and to do that with people who have different backgrounds, different opinions, different beliefs, and an understanding of how the world works. Now Philippians chapter 2 takes both of those groups, it slaps them both across the face and says you will learn to work together. You will learn to subjugate your preferences. You will learn to work towards the unity because this is what he has made you to be by the power of his cross and by the sufficiency of his blood. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes and he addresses this church and tells them, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And in this, we see a terrific corrective, no matter which side you find yourself on. We see a terrific corrective to the self-assured person that says, I'll never wear a mask, I'll never do it, everybody that does it is weak. And we see a terrific corrective to the person that says, everybody who doesn't wear a mask doesn't love people, what's wrong with him? Shouldn't they be wearing a mask? And why is he preaching without one now? What a moron. How insensitive could he be? And to both of these groups, look at this awesome corrective that he offers us here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So every opinion we have, every perspective we take in the midst of these things, we must take them captive to the benefit of our brother and sister in Christ. 
Now, when we considered this and the elders looked at this and we thought, what are the guidelines that we should put in place? What are the things that we have to do? We recognize that in the midst of these things, we could only choose one course of action. But in choosing this course of action, we're going to have people that have this perspective and people who have this perspective that are just frustrated to get, with all get out. But our job and our goal is to call them all towards unity in the gospel, to walk forward, and in the midst of these things, finding their brothers and sisters who disagree with them and saying, listen, you disagree with me, but I'm going to count you more significant than I count myself. Looking at their brother or sister who disagrees with them, who has ripped them, shredded them, eviscerated them on social media, and saying, no, 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 no. You and your interests get to be more significant than mine. That's countercultural. That makes no sense. That looks at partisan politics and splits in churches and slaps them across the face and says, this is disobedience to the gospel. If we're going to be obedient to the gospel, if we're going to be Christians who are faithful in this time where we see, see people breakneck pace, moving to an opposite end of the spectrum, we must be those who advocate for others. We must be those who allow room, who allow space for disagreement. Amen? Most of the disagreements we're having today aren't on issues of doctrine. They're not on issues of theology. They're on tertiary elements for how to interpret a time that none of us have gone through. Let the expert step to the front of the line and with humility say, let me be your advocate. Let me be the one who endorses you. Let me be the one who drives you forward. We have to maintain unity. We have to say no to the desire to snipe at people that disagree with us. Unity is so incredibly important because unity displays the body of Christ in a way that we can't otherwise do it. And unity is not achieved by all of us having the same opinion. Unity is achieved by those of us who have differing opinions choosing not to be a staunch advocate of them. Instead, we are a staunch advocate of our brother and sister in Christ because they are more important than our opinions. Amen? Amen? With the masks on, you're very muddled. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church in Corinth was a church of heightened dysfunction. It was a church that pursued its own way. And it was a church that had no small amount of discord. Well, while we were at Bowie... Uh, during our short time of remodel, uh, we had opportunity to study this book and, and see what the Apostle Paul would say to us regarding what the body looks like. And in chapter 12, he effectively makes the argument that the body requires all of us. All of us are indispensable, even those of us who are more difficult. Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul writes and says, Let there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. At the beginning of this, at its outset, we created these shepherding teams, these shepherding groups to reach out and to make contact with our members and our visitors every week because we recognize at the heart of who we are and what we do, it is ministering well to the body of Christ that he has given us charge of here at Ridgecrest. And a lot of what that looks like is reaching out and caring for those of us who have greater needs. 
And a lot of what that looks like is recognizing in the midst of one of our brothers or sisters having greater needs and struggling and in the midst of difficulties, we just get to say that that's not all right with us. It would not be okay for us. It would not be all right for us, for one of our members, for one of our member of our body to be suffering and us to go to them and say, listen, you suffer, but you do so quietly over there so you're not a distraction to anybody else. The body of Christ doesn't get to operate that way. It doesn't. And I believe this, this has larger impact and larger import for us when we look at other churches who have significant issues, who go through significant difficulties. We don't get to say we should never want that for them. And we don't get to say, that's okay, you keep your crazy over there, we'll keep our crazy over here, never the two shall be mixed. We should be broken every time we see dysfunction, every time we see discord happen at another local body, right? Why? Because the body of Christ is larger than one church, even though one local church gets to be our own experience of it. So we should be advocates for the overall health of this body, and we should be vast proponents strong encouragers and advocates for the overall health of the bodies all across our community. When one suffers, all suffer. We all lift high the name of Jesus, and we do that together. This is when we look at at the other churches in town and we see them struggle, our hearts should be broken because we recognize that when they struggle, it diminishes the impact of the gospel in our community, and that never gets to be okay with us never gets to be okay with us we want to honor one another we want to rejoice with one another in the midst of these things we recognize that those things God has shown us in the past within these two examples indicate they point at the reality and the necessity of our unity and that unity is something that has to be tended it has to be cared for and it requires all of us to be actively invested And it can't afford any of us to be detractors. It can't afford for any of us to be those who would sit back and snipe and say, sure, it's unity, but it's unity that isn't a unity that I can support. Paul in Philippians and Paul in 1 Corinthians would say to both of those perspectives and opinions, where do you see a place in this? We would invite our brothers and sisters to come along to understand the importance, the necessity of their involvement in this pursuit of uncommon unity. I love the story of the Exodus. In the story of an Exodus, in some sense, you see the story of the kind of the lifeline and the life journey of a church. Sometimes things go really well, sometimes things don't, right? And so Moses under the inspiration of God, leads a group of people from Egypt to the promised land. He leads them, and sometimes they do really well, and they love the Lord, and they're gathering manna, and then sometimes they ask for meat, and God gives it to them. They complain, they rejoice, they're faithful, they're unfaithful, but in the midst of these things, what gets me every time is when you get this ragtag group of disobedient people, so you get an average First Baptist church, and you bring them all the way to the promised land. You get them all the way up there, And Moses says, we're going to send these spies into the land. It's going to be great. You're going to cross over. You're going to come back and you're going to give a report to the people of how great this land is, how great this blessing is, how great this promise is. So they're in the land. They come back. And in Numbers chapter 13 and starting at verse 30, we begin to see the unfolding report. 
It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Caleb reflected upon God's faithfulness in the past and said, sure, there may be difficulties in the land, but our God is faithful and he will lead us in triumphant procession. He will lead us into the land. We can do it with him. But his voice was drowned out by the the cry of those who brought a negative report. Verse 31 says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. So this land that we've been told all along that is a land flowing with milk and honey, if we go in there, this land is so violent we will die. And said, all the people we saw in it are of great height, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. They see only problems. They see only issues. They see only difficulties, and their presupposition is that God might have been faithful to get us this far, but he won't be faithful to carry us the next way. We shouldn't go in. We shouldn't go in. None of us know what tomorrow is going to look like. None of us know what we're going to wake up to tomorrow. But we're able to look in the past and see God's continued faithfulness to us. Amen? Our God has faithfully led us step by step by step, giving us what we need when we need it. And here we have a choice. Are we going to trust in God's faithfulness? We're going to say to, to the present reality of partisanship, we're going to say to this present reality that so desperately needs the church, we are dissatisfied with you. You are unworthy of our trust. You are unworthy to be followed. Or can we look at these difficulties? Can we look at these challenges? And can we merely be reassured by our God's great faithfulness to us, to his people, and trusting his faithfulness will be there to provide for us for the future? Man, I hope that's where you come down. Is this going to be difficult? Absolutely it's going to be difficult. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have had our pay cut. Some of us have lost family members. Some of us have been angry for the last 10 weeks. But God's faithfulness has not moved. So in the future, even later today, we have an opportunity to move beyond the reflection of of, of frustration and move to work because the future belongs to gospel impact. And the future allows us to live valiantly trusting in God's faithfulness, recognizing this, that he calls us as the church to build one another up, to encourage one another, to display unity to the world. That in displaying unity, we're calling men and and women to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came, who died, who rose again, and who calls on all men and women to follow him and to believe in him and in believing him to have life and life eternal. He calls on us to do that as a church, but he calls on us to not to abandon our community. He calls upon us to engage our community. He calls on us to engage our world. 
you've ever gone on a mission trip, if you've ever gone overseas on a mission trip and, you, and you've searched for some of the countries you're going to, so if, if you've gone to South Sudan, if you've gone to Uganda, if you've gone to the Philippines, if you've gone to some of these other places, and you pull up some of these travel advisories, and you look at them and you say, you know, decent chance, I'm going to encounter some sick people while I'm there. Now you have an opportunity to do that here. I remember I went to go get a, a yellow fever vaccine uh, when Zach and I went to South Sudan a couple of years ago, and there was a shortage of the yellow fever vaccine because some French company messed up. Nobody else? Nobody else on the French? Okay, whatever. Still don't like the French. Okay. This French company had gone out of business or whatever, so there was a short supply, so the price of the yellow fever vaccine had really just kind of gone through the roof, and so I went to this uh, travel health center and so I'm in there, and all I really need is the yellow fever uh, vaccine for this trip. And she begins to kind of run through all the things I'm going to experience and all the things I should not do, a lot of which dealt with chickens. And so some of you should probably check that out because we have an inordinate number of people who have purchased chickens during this time. I don't know what you're preparing for, but I hope the eggs are free soon. And so she runs through all this whole list. She says, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to a place called Rink, South Sudan. And she's like, well, let me find it on a map. She's like, I can't find it on a map. Is it a large place? I said, no, it's a small, small, small place. It's on the border between Sudan and South Sudan. She said, why would you want to go there? I said, listen, I really just need the yellow fever vaccine, but I'm going to go there. So I'm laying out the gospel and all these things. She's like, well, let me read this disclaimer. And she ran through this insane list of all the things I might encounter while I'm there. And, and, and one of the things I got in this was if I see a dog, I need to run. Because if I get rabies, there's no chance I'm living. Because I won't be able to make it anywhere to get a rabies, you know, the, the medicine to administer for the rabies shot in time for me to live. And interestingly enough, she said, you should probably head for France. <laughs> the fix is in, people. Man, if, if you've gone on mission trips, you recognize that we live a life beset with difficulty, beset with risk. And that's not any different in this time. But we are called to be those who would engage with abandon. We are called to be those who would engage gracefully. We are called to be those who would be engaging fervently. We have community needs right here in Greenville, Texas. We can partner with Rafa. We can partner with Community Seeds. We can partner with Fish. You can partner with all the various churches of our community to meet real needs today. People still have needs today. People in our community are losing jobs. People in our community can't buy groceries. People in our community don't know how to care for their children. People in our community are finding themselves pregnant and don't know what to do. And we can reach them. We can minister to them in these nonprofits. Celebrate Recovery, which had to take a break in the midst of these things, in ministering to people who need to meet together. You can volunteer to go meet with them. You can help those people out. You can meet needs today. Isaiah, addressing a group of people who are incredibly disobedient, wrote these words in chapter 1 and verses 16 and 7 and through 19. He says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. 
We recognize in this that these verses aren't bound in a time that isn't affected by the spread of disease. These verses aren't bound in a time that limits itself to ease. These verses aren't bound in a time given to a people who find themselves moving forward with great ease, carefree. These verses are incumbent upon every Christian regardless of whatever difficulty or adversity they face. Amen? They're upon us today. They're upon us today. So when we see injustice, when we recognize oppression, we don't get licensed to sit back to write something heartwarming on Facebook or some other social media. The call for the Christian is to step into the midst of these things and seek to correct it, seek to address it, and to find those who are doing likewise and to partner with them because the gospel will not wait. The oppressed will not wait for us to feel safe and secure before we move in. We must be those who move in. We must be those who move forward in the compassion or the banner of the gospel to address these things today. These things can't wait. We must be those who address them. We must be those who look to these things and say, yes, let me be a part of this. Count me in. We're going to go volunteer our time at Fish. We're going to volunteer our time at Community Seeds. We're going to come and we're going to meet with the homeless of our community. We're going to come and we're going to address those who can't pay their rent. We're going to come and we're going to address any form that we see it in. The great sadness in the midst of these things is the rising incidence of domestic abuse. People stuck together without any ability for how to get along normally now are together and they're afraid and they're facing abuse. And in the midst of these things, it should be the church that reaches out and says, do you have somewhere safe to go? We will put you up. Do you have somewhere safe to be? We will take you in. We cannot stop. This is not the time to sit back, wait and relax and say, we're just going to wait until it gets better. This is the time to lean in. This is what the church is called to. Jeremiah 29, 7 is the anchor verse for For the City. A number of years ago when I was preaching through a series of sermons on mission and engagement and going through these, through these verses, this came to me and, and then this organization was birthed out of this and it's so incredibly impactful for us. He says, seek the welfare of the city in which I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Some of us have been exiled to our own homes. We have been sidelined. We have been benched. We have been quarantined. We have been blocked off from engaging other people. This does not stop our ability to engage. It forces us to be creative. It forces us to be inventive. It does not give us license to say, you know, I'll just check you guys out next year. I'll just be involved next year when it's more convenient. Service for others always demands sacrifice and it's never convenient. If it's convenient, you're serving yourself and not the Lord. We have an opportunity to join with the other churches of our community, to partner with them, to go shoulder to shoulder with them, to stand and to represent the gospel and to do that well. And it can't wait. It can't wait. The lost of our community, the lost globally, can't wait to hear the gospel message. They can't wait on us to feel more comfortable. They can't wait on our finances to recover. They can't wait on us to, be, to feel better about this. They need it today. They need you today. They need us today. Do you get a sense that the gospel is urgent? 
In the midst of this, some of us just gave this as an opportunity to pursue self and to pursue kind of feeding whatever appetite we had. And so we found ourselves deep in sin. We found ourselves pursuing every base appetite we had. All the while, the gospel we assumed would go out because someone else would do it. Our God calls all of us to dispense the gospel, to do it frequently, to do it fervently, to do it all the time. You've been stuck in your home. Have you gotten to know your neighbor? You've been stuck at home. Have you saw what your neighbor needs? Have you reached out to them? Have you knocked on their door? Have you left a note? You've been stuck at work with people who are under unbelievable stress. Have you prayed for them? One of the things that I continue to see in this time is that people are willing to have conversations. I spent a long time on hold this week. The staff knows just how long. It's not important. Let's just say hours. But I was able to do a number of different things because I never had the assumption they would come on. After two hours and ten minutes, they just cut you off. Some people don't have that stick to itiveness. I was willing to go the full three. But in the midst of these things and the opportunities that I was able to actually speak to a real live person on the other end of the line, not a delightful computer, how are you today? Say anything, I could respond. I bet you can. My social security number is. But I found that these people are wonderfully open to having conversations. So, hey, Sharice, how are you? Oh, I'm under a lot of stress. People are pretty frustrated with me. Man, I bet they are. And I'm sorry that that's how they're responding to you. Has anybody told you that there's a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus because he loves you and he died for your sins? People are open to conversations. Are you willing to be open to have them? People are open to your investment in their lives. Are you willing to spend some of your time, spend some of your energy, and spend some of your resources to make that investment in their life? The gospel won't wait. Lostness won't wait. Some of us, in the midst of these things, in the midst of these things, we need to remember God's faithfulness. We need to work today to make an impact. But looking to our distant future, we need to trust in, trust Him in all things. John writes these words, records these words from Jesus in the book of Revelation. He says, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death in Hades. God holds the future. He is holding us now. He is the first and the last. When Jesus tells us that I hold the keys of death, it gives us the impression, it gives us the understanding that he knows exactly how long we will live. But what is on you is how you will live. And I'm confident that if we'll look to our past, the things that God has shown us in this picture of faithfulness that he continually displays before us, that we can trust him in the midst of this chaotic present, and we can trust him up until the future when he comes for his bride again. Amen? Amen. Let us be those who remember, who work, and who trust. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for its sufficiency. I thank you for your son, Jesus, in whom we have life, in whom we have the forgiveness of sin. And Father, we pray for those who are wrestling in this reality right now, not knowing what to do, that they would be guided by your spirit. 
that they would submit themselves to you. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters who will not come until they feel safe, that they would be encouraged, that you would lead them to ways and avenues of service. God, that you would remind them of the terrific opportunity they have to pray to you on behalf of others. Don't let them squander this time, but God, that you would raise up wonderful intercessors. God, that you would raise up wonderful encouragers, that they would spend their time writing letters of encouragement, that they would spend their time not pursuing the selfishness of self, that they would not live in fear, but they would go forward even in this time living a life blocked off and wonderful gospel engagement. Father, we pray for your gospel to go forward. We pray that as any hear this that need to respond to Jesus, they would recognize that, that their decision to follow Jesus is the most important one that they might make today. And we ask that you would draw them by the power of your spirit. We submit these things to you in Christ's name.